This is the real reason you're here, isn't it? Chapter 4. <laughs> Some of you are like, we're going. You're, go- you're getting in the car. This is chapter 4. We're going. You get in the car. Some of you are like, I don't know why that's important. You're about to find out. Chapter 4, Song of Solomon. Uh, part 4 of this manifest series. Um, this, is where, this is where we find fundamental, elemental pieces of what builds a good, godly marriage that builds a good, godly relationship, that builds a culture that rules your home, that extends into the lives of your children, and then moves out from there in the form of ministry in their lives. This is where it all begins, right here on this page. If you were to ask me the most interesting chapter in Song of Solomon, I wouldn't say this one. I wouldn't say this one. It's not that, it's, it, it, there's other parts that intellectually or creatively really, really just blow my mind, just how well it's written. This one, it's, uh, but what it has inside of it, I think, makes it the most important chapter. Chapter 4, verse 1. We're at the honeymoon. Left the church. The tin cans rattling. Shoe polish all over the car. They get to their place, wherever it is they're going. Verse 1, Solomon speaks. Uh, Note, Solomon will speak for um, 15 verses in this chapter. She will speak one verse. He will speak 15 verses. I was with a group of guys the other day, and we had this conversation. I told them, I went to the tags and taxes office the other day, And I got tags for my truck by myself. Still not impressed? Okay. Um, I took money with me. Um, I had all the information. Well, I didn't have it all. I did it in less than four trips. I got it done. When I was done, I looked at the lady and I said to her, do you know how popular you're going to make me at home for helping me get through this? And she just laughed and laughed and laughed. And I was serious, serious, serious. Here's the reason why. When it comes to romance, listen, not difficult for me. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, not difficult for me. You know what's difficult for me? Being practical, functional. That's what's difficult for me. Some of you look at me like, so you went to the tags and taxes office, you got your stuff done? You mean like every other human being in the world that does this every single time they need to do it? Yes, just like that. I got it done myself. First time ever. Really, how weak. Oh, you want to compare poetry now? There's a difference in the way we're wired. Here's the deal. I'm looking at this group of guys. I'm telling them this, and they're like, Really? For the first time? Yeah, for the first time. Bang up job. So don't look at me and say, I'm not into the romance thing. I'm not into the functional thing. Like being practical and, and, and able to pull off stuff, like nearly impossible. There's not a good excuse for us not being able to move into those difficult areas of our lives and pushing past whatever the problem might be. Well, I don't, I'm not one that shares my emotions. Okay. Well, she might be someone who doesn't share anything else either. Well, I'm not one that shares my heart with other people. I, I mean, I, I suppose maybe you don't know how the world works, or at least how other human beings work. I'm not one that has to order my own pizza or do my tags and taxes. Yeah, yeah, deal with the resentment that that builds up over time. 
Can you please go do it, Jared? Can you please go do it? I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be a better human being. I'm going to learn how to do this on my own. I'm going to figure it out. We have to push against those hard things. Those things that we're not naturally gifted at. Well, this is not the kind of person I am. Listen to what Solomon does for 15 solid verses. Solomon does for 15 solid verses. Oh, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Doesn't sound romantic. I'll be honest, that doesn't sound real romantic. But if you saw the hills of Gilead, if you saw the mountain of Gilead and it covered in green grass, it is the coolest thing. You should Google it. Google Mount Gilead and then you'll see some ones that it looks like a green cloth has been draped over. They are so smooth. They've got these highlights and low lights and it's just perfect. And then what you do is you imagine now there are black sheep Black goats that are descending down these paths. And so there is more depth and layers to it. And Solomon is looking at this woman, pulls back her veil. Your eyes are beautiful, undoes her hair. Your hair is beautiful. Verse 2, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn. Listen to the detail. This is, this is pretty good. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. None of them is alone. Such a beautiful, toothy grin. He's noticing every single detail about her. Your temples behind your veil, temples and cheeks, it's this area, are like halves of pomegranates. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with elegance on it hang a thousand shields all of them the shields of warriors i took this i took my bible downstairs yesterday and i said hey can i talk to you girls about something all three and i started to read this my oldest looks up and she's like i'll be honest if some guy ever sits down with me and starts talking to me like this like, we're through. Like, it may have been cool in Bible days, but he better not ever start talking crazy like this to me. Like, I'm not having it. Like, it's over. Like, it's over. It's over with us. There's no way in the world. And I said, you got to understand the moment. I said, and you're a girl. And that makes it different, too. I want you to notice something. When he starts with her teeth, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. He's noticing specific details. These are things that are really, really important now. I've noticed this. I noticed this with my own, with my own wife. There are things about her that I absolutely adore that I never cared about ever before in my life. I've mentioned this before. I think her lips are so pretty. I've never ever thought to myself like, oh, look at her. Never. I've never had that thought. Then I saw hers and I was like, no, that's, why is that? Why does that trip me up like that? Like, that's crazy. Here's another one. She's got really great feet. And that's partly because like I have feet that look like caveman hands, you know? And so then I see hers and I'm like, they're so like, like I could climb like banana trees with mine, you know? Hers, no, they're, they're nice. Like, they're symmetrical. They're, they're pretty. Like, they're, I've never cared about that. Wow. He says, your teeth. Like, okay. Understand this couple is in love. This couple is newly married. They're on their honeymoon, and he's taking the time to talk about teeth. This is a slow-moving guy kudos guy slow it down verse 3 your lips are like a scarlet ribbon your mouth is lovely this is pretty important your lips are pretty they're like a scarlet ribbon but your mouth your mouth 
he says, is lovely. Here's what it is. It's visually appealing to look at, and I also know what comes from your mouth is lovely too. Hey, ladies, you can have the prettiest mouth in the world, but you can also have the ugliest mouth in the world by the stuff that comes out of it. With me? You don't think you could carve a man in half with what comes out of your mouth? You don't think you can just emasculate a man by the stuff that comes out of your mouth? You don't think that you can just bark orders to a man and then think to yourself like it's not going to affect him on some level? Your mouth may be pretty, but it may be absolutely the ugliest mouth in the world. He points out, not only is it pretty, but it's healing. Ladies, is that true of you? Your temples behind your veil are like halves of pomegranates. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with elegance. Here's, uh, here's, here's kind of the idea behind this. The Tower of David, it would, have been this, it would have been this tower that set up on the corner of either the palace or the outside edge of Jerusalem, up on the, up on the wall, like a, like a, uh, almost like a, like a, uh, a column or uh, like a watchtower. And it would have been able to hold a thousand troops inside of it. It would have been built beautifully, but it's, it's got bunks. It's a citadel. It's on the edge. This is the first thing you notice. Good gracious. What does that have inside of it? It has the power of life and death inside of it. He says, your neck is like the Tower of David. Upon it hangs a thousand shields. What comes out of there is overwhelming to me. That has got the power to completely overwhelm any force that comes against it. Here's another one. Also, in viewing it, it has the appearance of that which a thousand warriors would love the opportunity to be able to cast their eyes on. That's another picture of it. This is you. You're so perfect you're so beautiful and i don't know if you noticed the direction that we're going but we started at eyes and then we went to mouth and neck verse five your two breasts are two fawns like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies this is that moment in deer hunting. Dude, you know what this is. Where you hear the sound on the leaves. And you don't move, but inside of you does. <laughs> Something changes. You don't move. You freeze. Why? Because whatever is there, be very, very careful. Do not scare it off. This is a rare, rare thing, Solomon says. Now, remember this. Solomon is married to 700 women, and he's got 300 concubines. Yet, for some reason, when it comes to her, this is rare. You don't often see this. The twins of a gazelle that come following in behind. What a precious, gentle, tender thing that is passing by in front of you right now. Hold your breath. Dial down everything inside of you and just watch. Solomon says, this is what I feel when I see you. Now, this is really, really interesting. If I were to say to any of the guys in here, we just read verse 5. Your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. And then I ask you to go to verse 6. Just go ahead and take a read at verse 6 real quick. So let me tell you what I saw. As I'm watching you read it, here's what I saw. The guys went like this. Why? 
because it doesn't take a genius to figure out what we're talking about. Here's what's interesting. Commentators Kiel and Delich say this. Verse 6 is grotesque. And if assumed a continuation of verse 5, then interpreters will lose themselves in absurdities. Here's the next one. Uh, Jameson Fawcett Brown. Do you know what the mountain or the hill of incense or the mountain of incense, what, what is it? The uh, mountain of myrrh and the hill of incense. Do you know what James Fawcett and Brown say it is? Well, obviously, it's Calvary and then the embalmment of the body of Jesus. Clearly. Matthew Henry says, not clearly known. It just leaves us to fanciful guesses. Pulpit Commentary says, she must be doing the speaking. It makes no sense coming from Solomon. Benson Commentary says this, well, obviously it's Temple Mount and the prophetic writings. The Cambridge Bible for schools and colleges says this, He's literally leaving where they are at and he is going to these two geographical locations. Field trip, mid-honeymoon. That makes sense, doesn't it? Ellicott's commentary says this. These only carry on the thought of, of chapter 4, verse 5. Then we come to a break. That's as far as they are willing to go. Obviously, this is a continuation of the previous verse. Next. Um, but I would like to read from the Steve Miller Band commentary. I really love your peaches. Want to shake your tree. This is not hard to figure out, kids. <laughs> what are we doing? Really, what are we doing? What is this? Like, we come up to this one, and then we hit the brakes, like... Not sure what they're talking about. <laughs> really? Come on. Like, that's almost more weird than not knowing what it is. Like, what is that? I don't know. I'm just going to keep it a secret. Okay. There's a few reasons why that is such a weird thing for commentators to do. There's a couple reasons. Number one, it doesn't make sense concerning the context of the poem. Doesn't make any sense at all. He's going from head all the way down, and he gets to here, and then all of a sudden, now we're just going to take a break? I don't know about you guys. We're not taking breaks at my house. We, we get this far into the process. We're not taking breaks. Like, this isn't, we're not taking time out. Where are you going? We're thinking about going. There's this hill I want to climb. Like, what, is, what is wrong with you? For real? What is wrong with you? It doesn't make any sense considering the context and the way young married couples would act on a honeymoon. This doesn't make any sense at all. Number two, it ignores the brilliant segue into the second half of the poem. He says, mountain of myrrh, hill of incense. Then he goes on down and he comes back to mountains again, only this time it's different. He uses the previous verse as a metaphor to launch off. So he uses metaphor, then doubles down on the metaphor, and then moves to the emotional. This is genius, genius writing. Let me read it to you. Two breasts are like the twin fawns uh, of a gazelle that browse among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. All beautiful you are, my darling. All beautiful, there is no flaw in you. Then he says this in verse eight. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinar, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of the leopards. You've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart. This makes more sense. The other problem with it is this. It denies the depth, intimacy, and the need for this human experience. Most of you remember when you met your person and the long phone calls that you would have. Do you remember the long phone calls? Stay awake. Having these long phone calls. Kate and I were talking about this the other day. Like just long, 
you couldn't do anything. You were just on the one phone, and every once in a while, your mom and your dad would pick up, hey, you still on the phone? Still on the phone? I'm on the phone. Sorry, quick. And you go back to having your conversation. What he says is, until the shadows flee, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. I was downstairs and I was talking to my girls and I was reading through this passage and f- with them and asking them, like, what do you think this is? What do you think this is right here? I know what a lot of commentators are saying, but what do you think this is saying right here? And then in the middle of that, Kate and I just kind of broke off from there and had this conversation like, you remember the early days when we just spent so much time together? And there would be those late, 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 late nights to where you would sacrifice sleep so that you could spend time with one another? And it didn't matter. It didn't matter that you were tired. It didn't matter what you had going on the next day. If you could just squeeze one more minute out of this time together, it was so, so worth it. And she says, yeah, those are great times. And I say, yeah, those are great times. It denies the depth, intimacy, and need for such a human experience. Here's the deal. The message of the gospel must first be preached and lived out in our homes. If we're going to take the manifest, the idea of the Christian experience bringing the manifest presence of God into our lives so that we can disperse it out to other people so other people's lives can be changed by it. Where does that all begin? So let's start at the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Okay, we have to go out into the world and preach the gospel. Our children are a product of what we've created in our homes. It's what our children are. Culture in the home is built by a mother and father and the relationship that they have. That's how we build the culture in our home. The mother and father's relationship is built and that culture is created through a series of events that absolutely rely on trust with one another. And so if we have trust with one another, we can build culture inside of our homes that will then move into their lives. That trust is rooted in the depth of commitment, joy, and in the act of marital intimacy. Let me say it again. The trust that we have to create inside of our home to get culture, the culture we want, that will affect our kids and move out into ministry, that begins in the act of intimacy between a husband and a wife. This is where it begins. That trust is rooted in their depth of commitment, their joy, and their marital intimacy. Let me, let me venture off, off to the side for one second. To assume you can have a solid marriage without good marital intimacy in the middle of it is false. You can't. You can't. You can't say we've got a great marriage. You're either completely unaware You're either completely unaware of what your marriage is made of. Or you're so blinded by your own selfishness. Or a list of a hundred other things. In order to have that, in order to have a strong marriage, this has got to be a feature in the marriage. It cannot be neglected. It cannot be neglected. Let me say it again. It cannot be neglected. Both of you, listen close, both of you, husband and wife, together, both of you need this. Men, we will use romance to get sex. Women, you will use sex to get romance. We both need this process. And if this is the thing that builds the trust between us, and you can say to yourself, like, well, I don't know that it builds trust. I promise you, I promise you, and I promise you if we took a survey of men inside of here, ladies, you would learn real quick, it has a whole lot, maybe 85% to do with trust. Their trust in you. Yeah, well, I got trust issues with him. Perfect. Of course you do. And vice versa. 
And this is what humanity is. We are broken. We bring baggage into this relationship and we have to untangle it. We have to unfold it and we have to start looking at it and trying to figure out exactly what it is we need to do with it. If it's broken, then we have to fix it. You don't stand by and just let it stay broken. You don't stand by and just let it stay broken. You start unfolding the pieces. Well, I don't want to see what's in there because I don't want to hear it's my fault. Listen, if it's broken inside your marriage, it is your fault. Both of you, it's your fault. The two become one. If there's a hitch somewhere in here, both of you are at fault. We're not worried about whose who's, who's problem this is. What we're worried about is we got to put it back together. We have to heal this problem. So where do we begin? So where do we begin? First, we begin with honesty. This has everything to do with trust. This is why we don't trust each other. Let me give you a couple hypotheticals. I mean, sometimes the reason that they're not all amped up in the same way that we are is because they don't trust us. The reason for not trusting us is because we've taken advantage of them. We've taken them for granted. We've approached them numerous times with such a short runway and investment that they're looking at us like, like, like I'm a light switch, like, like I'm a vending machine, drop in your quarters and push the button, like this is what it is. It's such a short runway that there's absolutely no way for her to be able to get her mind and heart and soul and body on board. And so there's no trust because it is just nothing but an exchange. This is part of the reason they don't trust us. It's part of the reason their eyes don't light up when ours do. Similarly, ladies, a neglected man is going to express this emotion, distrust. Here's the reason why. I made a commitment against everything that rages inside of my body to stay committed to you. Listen close. I made a commitment that pushes against every single thing that wants to rage out inside of my body and I promise to keep all of that with you. And you pushed me aside, blew me off, dusted me back to the corner, put me on the back burner, left me on the shelf, took the kids and what they got going on and put it in front of you. You took your Facebook time and you took your family time and you took all this other stuff and you put it there in the front. You took the urgent and you put it all up there instead of putting the important in that place. And then you complained about it. Well, you know what the problem is with this man? I know exactly what the problem is with that man. That man has been lonely and neglected for a long time. Oh, ladies, I know. Yeah, well, what about me? I know. I agree. We have done just the same thing in a different way. This is why it's a trust issue. This is why we have to approach it in a very gentle way. And listen, we don't get the option to step into it and say, well, here's the thing. You need to do this and this and this. Yeah, you could try it. I mean, you could try that if you want to. You know, or my favorite, my favorite comical line, well, you know what the Bible says? And she's like, I'll tell you what the Bible says. You know, she'll she get worked up. This has got to be approached with gentility on both sides. You have to meet in the middle and begin to have a conversation. Do you feel neglected in this area? Yes, I do. Are you resentful about it? Yes, I am. Can you let go of it? In time. Have I taken advantage of you? Yes, you have. Have I given you nothing but a short runway in the times that I've been interested and you were not? Yeah. Have I done a poor job of exchanging my heart and emotion? for the things that are important to me. Yes, you have. I'm sorry. I'm sorry too. These are how these conversations go. Have I cheated you in some way? Yes, you have. I'm sorry. Have I cheated you in some way? Yes, you have. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Yeah, I'll forgive you. Can we heal this? Yes, we can heal this. Do you forgive me? I forgive you. Can we heal this? Yes, we can heal this. 
You can say all day long, I'm not a man of many words. Listen, you better find them. Find them. Dig deep and find them. That's the way you heal it. That's the only way. Scripture is full, full of God finding a way to speak from heaven and express his undying love for his people. He sure didn't have to. But over and over and over and over and over, God steps from heaven and speaks to his children and tells them how much he loves them. And it's no different for us. We are in the same likeness, that position. God is over us and we are here. And then our spouse is here. You expect that same kind of thing from God, that same kind of love and commitment from him for forgiveness, then you should offer the same thing God offers to your spouse. That's our responsibility. We have to step into that. Speak the words that they need to hear. We're going to come back to that. I love verse 6, until the day breaks and the shadows flee. You know what happens with a couple that gets that part of their life healed and fixed? It becomes that very thing. And until the day breaks and the shadows flee, takes on a completely different thing. It no longer means all night. Now what it means is now it's safe. I trust her with my heart. I trust her with my approach. I trust that if I approach her and she's not in the same place as me, the words she's going to use are still going to be a comfort to me. I can't right now, but I want to. And how about later? And I'm worn out, and it was a long day, but tomorrow, you know what? Thank you. Ladies, can I tell you a secret? And this might be going too far, but let me tell you a secret. Frequency is not as big of an issue as access. Make sense? Frequency is not as big of an issue as access. If it's barred and locked away, and it's on a shelf in the back and not an option, there could be a bitter man hiding around there somewhere. But if it's available and negotiable, I can't right now. I want to, can't do it. I'm worn out. Can we just lay here? Absolutely, it's accessible. That's probably 75% of it. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee. This is so good because then it turns into a place of safety and Solomon's now speaking in safe terms. And listen what he does. He says, come away from the lonely and the dangerous and then let us journey towards adventure, internal and then perspective, which means make the world small. Listen how he says this. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinar, uh, the hermit of Summon, from the lion's den, the mountain haunts of the leopards. You've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine, the fragrance of your perfume, over any spice. He says, here's what I want. Come away from these dark, scary places that you've been with your family, with your work, with whatever's going on, and come with me to this new place. I want to take you to a different mountaintop experience. I want to take you up to the crest, and I want you to overlook everything there, and I want to show you how, world, how small the world is. Think about this. When you climb up on a mountaintop, one of the first things that you'll notice is the world suddenly seems enormous, and somehow the panoramic picture that you get, you can go, it seems smaller up here. And he says, let me give you a new perspective and invites her into this deeper place in their relationship. Now, here's what's really good. Here's what's really good. He also moves from the visual. All these other verses have been visual. Your eyes, your teeth, your lips, your mouth, your neck, your breast, and then he stops and we go somewhere else. 
Verse 10. Oh, let me back up. Verse 9, let me say something about this real quick. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart. The New American Standard says you have enchanted my heart. The NIV says you have stolen my heart. The Hebrew says you have ravished my heart. Um, One of the Hebrew definitions says you have unhearted me. You have cut it out of me. With one look from your eyes. Uh, let, me, let me tell you something that Kate and I have done. I've shared this before. Kate and I do this on occasion. Uh, married couples, listen. This is a terrible exercise and an awesome exercise, all right? It's terrible and it's awesome, but listen close. Like, just go do it. Don't be like, no, no, do it. Just go do it. Listen. Five minutes with each other, staring right in each other's eyes, no talking. No looking away. No interruptions. Five minutes. Just eye contact. I can do it. But I can't do it without crying. Can't. I try. I can't. I'll tell you why. I can't because once I'm there in that place... Five minutes, eye contact. One of the first places my head goes is pain I've caused. How this person has trusted me to be safe and there's been times I haven't been safe. There's times this person has given me every single thing about her. Heart, soul, body, mind, all of it. And I've betrayed her trust. And now I'm looking her in the eyes for five solid minutes. And that's pretty hard. Here's what's great about it. I begin to see the years that have piled up between us. And our ability to overcome the times we've betrayed each other and hurt each other. And I see the years, how they piled up. And that moves me. Moments that I think to myself, we shouldn't have made it through that. And we did. It makes me proud. With one glance of your eyes, you have completely unhearted me, Solomon says. Married couples, five minutes. Just pick a time this afternoon, five minutes. You can demand it in here now. I'm not doing it. In here now, five minutes. Right here, me and you, we're not talking, we're not nothing. We're just sharing. And listen, and I know this is different because when I've done this with my girls, with my, with my daughters, I'll tell you what I have to do. Allie, she comes with an open heart. She's high in openness, and we sit down and we connect, and here comes her whole emotional, like, bah! like, here it comes. Brooklyn's is like this. And she's guarded, and she's, I mean, just completely barred up. And then the longer we sit there, before too long, she'll go from here, really, really just guarded, and then all of a sudden something changes in her eyes and in her posture and in her body language, and she goes. Crushes me every time. Every single time. Because when she opens up, then I'm be able to. Then, I, then we can share. There's an exchange between the two of us, and she learns to trust me, and I learn to trust her. And it's the same with my daughters. And you can do this with your kids. But I'm telling you, you sit down with your spouse, and the reason that you don't want to do it is because you know the hurt that's there. What I'm saying is this: do the hard thing, and look it in the face. Share that time, and begin to push that back. Because if you do, here's what happens. The day will break. The shadows will flee. And all of a sudden, safety will begin to move back into the relationship. This is how we build that culture that makes a difference in the rest of the world. Verse 10 and 11 moves from sight to taste. Begins to talk about her kisses. Verse 10. 
How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. <clears throat> How much more pleasing is your love than wine, the fragrance of your perfume, than any spice. Verse 11, your lips drop sweetness as honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like that of Lebanon. This is, what, this is, the, this is the verbiage that he's using right here. Do you remember when the Hebrew people came out of Egypt and they crossed the Jordan River and they were coming into Canaan, the land, the promised land that God was going to give them? Here's what he said about it. There's so much grapes. There's so many grapes. The grapes are so big. The clusters of grapes are so incredibly big that it requires two men with a stick between them to carry one cluster of grapes. The connection is this. Keep the foxes from our vineyard, our vineyards that are in bloom. The reason why is because we have to keep this thing here so we have wine, so we have joy in our relationship. And God says, you want joy? You should see the grapes in Canaan. He says, your love is more delightful than wine. And then he jumps from there over to milk and honey, which that is also promised land talk. That's promised land talk. How do you mean milk and honey? The land's flowing with milk and honey? Yes. Here's what it means. It's so prosperous. It's so fruitful. And here's the one that we want the most. It's sustainable. I don't know if you've ever... I don't know if you're, if you're like this if, or if you've noticed this, but I get distracted pretty easy. And one of the things that I've realized with me is that sometimes when I sit down and I visit with people, if their information starts to get boring, I check out. Because it's no longer about that this is a person in front of me, and I have to, I have to work on this. It's no longer a person in front of me. It's somebody who has data that I want. I want data. I want information. I want the ones and the zeros. I want the, come on. Like, give me, tell me something new. Light up my brain. Tell me something new I didn't know. I want to learn something. Uh, tell me a great story. Take me on a ride. Give me a fun fact. I don't care what it is. Tell me a great, I mean, anything. Sing me a song. Like, give me something that's cool. And I can get really, really distracted if I'm not entertained with something. What I've realized is this. If I'm able to keep a good friend in my life, it's because there's something about them that is sustainable. One of my biggest fears in getting married was what if I get bored? What if I get bored with her? What he's saying here is you build a relationship like this, no one's getting bored. Do you know why? Because this is the promised land. He says to her, you are like the promised land. But he's not even done. He's not even done using Old Testament language. Now he's going to go to the next level. And this is, pretty, uh, this is pretty powerful. Chapter 4, verse 12 through 15. Don't get nervous. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits and henna and nard and nard and saffron, and calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree, with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Your, says orchards in the NIV, in the original, it's your defenses, your swords. The thing that you could carve me to pieces with is this part of you, this intimacy that we have between each other. Like, this is it. Your defenses, that's the thing. Ladies, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, uh, you're gonna learn, learn something cool here in just a minute. I think, I think if I had to pick a verse or two that, ladies, that, that would help ladies understand where men are coming from, it would be verses 13 and 14. Verses 13 and 14. Gals, if you want to understand what your man is made of, then you have to understand verses 13 and 14. Like, like, these, are like these are important, important. And it doesn't seem like it when you read it. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna, nard, nard, and saffron, calamus, and cinnamon. Every kind of incense tree, myrrh, aloes, and all the finest spices. Every single thing that he lists right here, number one, 
is a luxury, high-end, exotic plant. Not only that, it also, they all also have a purpose. And I'm sure if we took some of you essential oils people uh, and we started breaking it down, you could tell us a whole lot more about what some of these do. Let me tell you what. I've learned in just reading about some of these. Some of these are used for pain relief. Some of these are used for mood regulation. Some of these are made for, uh, are made for um, um, heightening uh, sexuality. Some of these are made as a, just a fragrance. Some of these have healing attributes to them. Do you hear what he's saying? Ladies, if you understand verses 13 and 14, then you can understand exactly what a man is made of. Here's what he's saying. And men are so poor, so poor at being able to put into words the things they need to say. But Solomon says it for you. All you have to do is figure out, formulate your language, and figure the same thing out. Here's what he says. Every single day, I get up and I bust my tail. I go to work. I go face the lion's and the tigers, I got to go butt heads with my boss and the idiots I work with. Every day I get up and the world kicks me in the teeth. I've got to manage these morons below me. I got to deal with the idiots above me. I've got to charge out into the cold, into the weather, into the elements, into the toil, the strife, and the frustration, and it punches back on me every single day. There is a line outside my office of people who have something terrible to say to me, and I've got to find a way to march through every single one of these. There's going to be a list of complaints. My boss is going to show up in a bad mood. My life is every single day I leave the house, I go to work, and I get kicked in the mouth. I've got to drum up business, and I'm having a hard time drumming up business. I've got to keep all this stuff going so I can pay employees, and we're not getting the business we need. I've got to bust my tail to do all this stuff. I'm hurting on the inside, and I'm hurting on the outside. And any man that works hard understands there's this thing that we just rarely talk about. You come home, so how was your day? You don't look her in the face and say, you know, Jerry and I was talking today when we were over by the machine. And he was saying how he thinks the die cutter that we have is probably different than the ones that other places you... We don't do this. You don't come in, sit down, and be like, how was your day? Well, you know, I was out on the combine today. It's the weirdest thing. You know how, uh, you know how Steve has got a combine that's different than mine? You don't do this. When I get home, I say, how was your day? Uh, fine. Fine. You know why? Of course you know why. Do you want to talk about it anymore? No. I'm done thinking about all those idiots. I'm done thinking about everything that happened today. I'm done thinking about it. I'm done. I'm shut off. You know what I want? I want the TV to be on. I want everybody else to be quiet. I want to be able to gather up all the parts and pieces of me that have been scattered all over the universe. I want to bring it all back to one center place for just a moment so that I can be okay again. I don't want to sit down and talk to you about my day. How was your day? How is this typing away? This type, type. I don't want to do that. Here's what he says. You take me away from all of that. The act of marital intimacy for a man is this. This is not primarily physical. This is primarily emotional. Listen, when I was able to figure this out inside of my, how to say this to my wife and then convey it to her in a way that didn't sound manipulative on any level and be able to convey this to her, it changed our life. It changed the way she sees me and our time together. It changed it. Because what I was able to say was this. This is not about the physical aspect. This is not me running around like a, like a lunatic animal. That's not what this is. What this is, is I'm looking for a place to park my heart. That's what I'm looking for. Ladies, when you're approached in this way, when he's coming at you with it, listen, you have to understand, he's looking for a place to park his heart. You may think it's something else. It's his heart. Looking for a place to park his heart. He wants to find a place where he can be rebuilt and put back together. So, two things that have to happen for this to, for this to go on. One, men, you have to use the words. You don't get to be like, you know that thing Jared said? Like, I don't work. Look at what you know. Don't freaking bring me up in the middle of your stuff. All right? 
It's weirdness. I don't, don't, don't say that. You want to come back and you want to read it? Read it. You want to sit down and you can be like, this is what it is. You figure it out. You convey it the way you need to convey it. You say the words. Here's one more aspect to this that I need to tell you. Guys, if you think this is a conversation that's a one and done conversation, you are mistaken. This is not a one and done conversation. <laughs> you no more understand exactly how she thinks and how she works and she doesn't have to remind you all the time, right? Of course she does. I hate it when you talk about my dad. I hate it when you bring this up. I hate it when you talk. I hate it when you do that. I hate it. Listen, this is a back and forth. Guys, if you think, well, I told you once. Yeah, that's, what, that's the way it works? You, t you told her once? Okay, perfect. No, this is not a one and done conversation. You revisit this conversation. Hey, this is where I'm at. I'm not coming at you. I'm not coming at you out of just some just crazy selfishness. Like, I'm, like I'm, kind of, I'm kind of in this place. I'm just looking. This is a little more internal. Oh, I didn't know. You have to find and formulate the words you need to say the things that you need to say that she needs to hear and that she needs to feel. Second part of it is this. Ladies, we are 100% aware that we have probably uh, misused, abused, uh, manipulated, um, broke, and, and, and dishonored your trust in this area. And we probably have some baggage that we need to work through with it. And you probably have some baggage you need to work through with it. So listen, here's where it begins with you. You have to begin to work through the bitterness and the resentment so that you can move forward. Now listen, if you don't want to get rid of the bitterness and the resentment, you can't expect things to get good, ever. If you're harboring that, you can't expect to just jump over it. Well, I don't like to just bring up stuff like that. Okay. Then it's going to stay broke. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. That's where you begin. If you're bitter, ladies, if you're bitter, if you're resentful, if you're holding a grudge on some level, then you have to find a way to sit down and have that conversation. And listen, ladies, and I mean this with my whole heart, don't you dare bring it up if you're not ready to let loose of it. This is not a nag session. This isn't an opportunity for you just to throw your just throw your, your every horrible, poisonous, venomous thought out into the universe. That's not what this is for. What this is for is for you to say what's on your heart and on your mind, and then you better be ready to reconcile it. If you're not, don't bring it up. You go find some girlfriends, and you have a gritching session if that's what you want to do, but you don't bring it up so that you don't forgive it. You're going to bring it up, you bring it up to forgive it. Men, we have to verbalize everything that's going on inside of us with that, which means you have to do some thinking sometimes. Top level. And then, ladies, what you have to do is you have to be willing to meet in that place. Ladies, if you understood the power that you have inside of your home and with your husband, you would dominate the rest of the world. But you don't, and God doesn't let you understand it. That's why you're not in charge of stuff. That's exactly why. Because if you knew, you'd be in charge of everything. I'm not saying you can't be. I'm saying you're not because he's not going to let you know every single thing that you could know. Here's what you get, though. You get a man, when you keep your standard high, when you reach out to express the things that are bothering you, and you come forward with a forgiving heart like God did for us, here's what you create inside your home. You create a standard of living that then moves into the culture and then changes the people around you, and everybody stops and looks at what you have, and what you've done is you brought the manifest presence of God into your relationship, and then ministry exudes from there. This is how we build it. But it starts bottom level. Men, muscle up and have the conversations and say the words that you need to say. Ladies, we know we've hurt you and we apologize. We're sorry and we will happily deal with that. You got to let us know. Listen, and here's the deal. You put it out there. You've hurt my feelings. You've hurt my feelings. You've made me sad. I feel like you need to apologize to me, that you need to build it back up. Men, this is not a time to start getting nitpicky. With me? 
Yeah, well, well, yeah, well, well, one time you did, and like, okay, now, now you're, now you're moron. Now you did. I can't, I can't help you at this point. I can't help you. But you bring it up so that you're willing to forgive it, so that you could heal what you need to heal, and then you can move on. What happens when we do this stuff and we do it right? What happens? The woman speaks. Awake north wind and calm south wind. Blow on my garden and its fragrance may spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. One line. One line. What's her response? Her response is this overwhelming heart of servant, uh, of servant-mindedness, of sacrifice, of not willingness, but confidence to where she meets in that place and she says, look, if you're going to be the kind of man that uses this kind of language and lays his heart bare, filleted in front of me, there's nothing of mine that you can't have. Take whatever you want. Chapter 5, verse 1. I've come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I've drunk my wine and my milk. This is a satisfied couple who've met in this place of being a servant to one another. It's not an approach that's only for me. This is an approach that's for you. This is the power of it. Ladies, one last piece. I forgot to mention this earlier. Do you know what a wonderful connected time with your spouse does for your husband? In the afterglow, the next day. Do you know what it does? Guys, you know this. Guys, you know this. Like, you already know this. But ladies, I don't know if you know this. But you need to know this. Do you know what, do you know what happens for a guy the next day? There are things that come up. Frustrations, the same kind of just in the fray, in the battle, things that come up. But you know what he does? And this is true, isn't it, men? This is 100% true. What a man does is he does this real quick reflect. Yeah, well, yesterday was great. And check this out, ladies. He carries you with him through the rest of the day. And I'll be honest with you, my guess would be this. He thinks about you more and carries you into all the things that he has going on in the day more so than you do with him. And you can say, oh, well, he's not real romantic. I promise you. You connect with him on this level. The next day, there are those moments that flash up, and it's like, you know what? This is a, this is a terrible day, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference at all. This is a good day. Why? Because I'm okay. I'm able to hang my head high. I'm able to puff my chest out because you know what? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Jesus Christ steps from heaven, becomes like us, and then puts himself not above us, but below us. Even so much to be a servant to us even so much more to sacrifice himself for us. And then patiently waits for us to get it right. So that on that day when he returns, we are exactly what he needs us to be. This is the same heart and the same message that the gospel tells us to have in all areas, in the bedroom and in our marriage is no different. We approach this the same way. It's playful, it's funny, it's exciting, but it's also humble, and it's faithful, and it's true, and it's honest, and it's forgiving. This is the way we operate inside of our homes. There's been so many years that Kate and I have botched this up. So many years. And it's painful, and the conversations were terrible. And I imagine probably there's still corners of that that we haven't completely ironed out. But I promise you this. Once you begin to work through that stuff, it sure makes it a whole lot easier. So uh, here's my prayer as we, as we close. I'm praying that you will have the confidence to do the things that you need to do 
wherever you are inside your marriage, wherever you are inside your relationships, that you'll have the confidence and the courage to do the things that you need to do. And listen, last time I mentioned it, do the five-minute thing staring at each other this afternoon. Like, just do it. Like, just do it. Nag him till he does it. You can nag him, nag him all day till he does it, or nag her until she does it. I promise you, this is a very, very fruitful exercise. Uh, let's pray, and, and we'll get out of here. God, we love you. We thank you so much for everything you've done for us. We thank you for your word that pushes us in so many ways to be better than we want to be. But we ask that you will um, increase our capacity to love you and to be like you so that we can be servants to our spouse and to our family. Well, thanks for all that you've done for us, for this church. Pray that you be with everyone who's with us online and in Caney. Lord, you're present today. We love you. Please be with our marriages and be with our children and their future spouses. We ask that you will continue to grow a strong church in our community, both here and in Caney. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good afternoon.